Good evening, Mr. Wellick. I'm Detective Quatlander. This is Detective Jones. As I know you're aware, we were hoping to speak with you at your office today, but your assistant said you're out. What's this about? We're investigating a murder that occurred at your husband's place of employment, ma'am. May we please come in? A murder? That's not kind of... Ma'am, do you mind speaking in English, please? I think this isn't appropriate. You coming to my house like this, upsetting my wife? I will be in my office Mr. tomorrow. Mr. Wellick, as you can imagine, this is very time-sensitive. Hello, friend. You've got mail. Welcome to another episode of Hello Friend, a podcast all about the show, Mr. Robot. Today, Henry and I, Margaret, are here to talk about episode number eight of season one of Mr. Robot called White Rose. This was directed by Christoph Schreve, I think is how you would say his name, and written by Sam Esmail and Randolph Leon. Well, Henry, did White Rose smell good to you? <laughs> um, I don't know. I associate White Rose with an Asian man dressed like a woman. I don't know what that really smells like. I thought that this was one of the more straightforward episodes. I mean, first of all, the title was not in reference to something around the world of hacking or computers, although White Rose is a master hacker and famous and, and so famous that she is in some ways a legend people weren't even sure if she existed yeah it was i think a different tone than the other episodes there's just a lot going on i feel like things are kind of rushing to a head and we get a sense of so many things in motion both on and off screen yeah and we open this particular episode with darlene who's particularly tortured because she is really upset about the dark army pulling out of the caper that f society has planned against steel mountain and bringing down evil corp she's at some guy's apartment one of her hookup buddies but she seems to have ulterior motives for being there not just the excellent sex i guess yeah and my, the way that i felt about her evolved so much over the span of five minutes right because when the scene opened i was like what what like okay you know she's kind of like this bougie hacker girl that sleeps with bankers like what and then you know he's kind of condescending and kind of pitying on her and i'm like trying to figure out why she's there and what's exactly going on and i kind of feel sorry for her and then it's quite clear that she's got this ulterior motive to steal something from him it's a gun and then we find out that she knows angela and their childhood friends and it's like these worlds collide and you kind of start thinking about everything that's happened up to this point in season one through a different lens yeah so when darlene was interacting with the banker guy i agree it was sort of like come on darlene and i thought three things about it. First thing was, it's a very typical Manhattan thing. I know that it doesn't just happen in Manhattan, but that little island or those five boroughs, they make strange bedfellows. So it's not uncommon to see Wall Street bankers hooking up with, you know, with people who seem like they hang out at art school at the Lower East Side. And I love Darlene's chip nail polish of different colors. I, I thought 
another show would have made her nails super polished, but they really keep her in character. And so I thought that was cool. And when she was cracking the safe to steal this, this guy's gun, I did a freeze frame on his degree, on his business degree. And I don't know if you noticed, but his name looked like it was Alexander Bones. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. But at least she had the motive. And the reason she st stole the gun is she's terrified the Dark Army is going to kill her. Yeah. And for all of F Society's technical prowess, it seems like the Dark Army is not an organization to be trifled with. When Darlene showed up at Angela's class, first of all, again, that was another very New York-looking location. It was really reminiscent of places I've seen. I thought Darlene was stalking Angela. Exactly. I thought she was going to confront Angela and say something about Elliot or somehow she was there to intrude where she was not wanted. Yeah, it was really a strange mixing up of characters who seemed to belong to totally different worlds, or at least at first. And this is the point where Angela says, my life sucks. I had to take New Jersey transit to get to a 7 a.m. class, and I woke up at my dad's home in my childhood room that I've outgrown. She's kind of hit rock bottom, and she's in desperate straits in a lot of ways. And this episode, more than any of the others, really makes me think of New York. You know, some of the episodes feel like they could just happen anywhere or they kind of happen in this abstract megacity. But this particular episode, like you're saying, really made me think about New York in the way that Woody Allen films do um, or the show Seinfeld does. Yeah, I think so too. And especially those scenes as Darlene is on the subway and Dark Army are basically trailing her and she's pretty terrified and panicked about what's going to happen. But there was one thing I wanted to mention in this episode, they talk about raspberry pie. And this is the second episode where they reference raspberry pie. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the raspberry pie manufacturer sold just now for 615 million euros. Wow. I remember trying to get some Raspberry Pi units when they first came out. And I was in uh, Gamescom in Germany and trying to get them to give my company some units. So it's pretty cool to see something grow from an open source project with a strong cult backing to something that's actually showing up on a TV show. Yeah, and there was another really cool scene right after that where Darlene and Elliot were in Coney Island and they, I mean, I guess that's where they were talking about the Raspberry Pi where Darlene and Elliot were in Coney Island and they were standing in front of another make-believe arcade game. <laughs> you got really excited about that. Yeah, can I tell you the title? I don't know if you probably saw it too. Did you see it said Intergalactic Planetary? <laughs> that's great, that's great. Shout out to the Beastie Boys. Isn't that a riot? That's pretty cool. We find out that Mr. Robot is very intent saying, you know, we, we can't have any distractions. And Tyrell is hanging out in his office and Gideon is heading over frantically to speak with Tyrell because at some point, everyone in this episode finds out that Allsafe has been hacked. <laughs> yeah, it's just a question of who finds out last, right? Yeah, and I really think we're supposed to think that 
Gideon is a good person, but I, and he is doing what any company owner would do, but sometimes he just seems like he's so full of S-H-I-T. Yeah, Gideon kind of triggers that part of me that just wants to scream like obscenities at someone, you know, like, you suck. <laughs> he just, he doesn't just inspire confidence when uh, things are going to hell. Gideon is no Gavin Belson. <laughs> <laughs> the master of panic as uh, this uh, basketball player Shaquille once said about his uh, ex-coach the master of panic yeah I think there's something to that and seeing Gideon and Tyrell interact like those two are on such different wavelengths Tyrell is generally creepy he's creepier now that he's has even more blood on his hands and when he deals with Gideon, he's too distracted. And when he deals with getting coffee spilled on him, his laughter is just really gross. Yeah, I think the show never really talks about it super explicitly, but class and status and the powerful role that these invisible things like position play in our society is something the show really explores. And how Gideon, in a position of authority at all safe, acts a certain way and then we see him be so obsequious to someone who's kind of losing his mind in Terrell and it's pretty jarring to see how uh, that facade or persona of Gideon the boss just drops away to Gideon the the vendor <laughs> the vendor I think that should be his nickname from now on the vendor yeah Gideon the vendor <laughs> Well, you know, Gideon, in his obsequious fashion, made sure to inform Tyrell that they're going to have the hack contained. They've implemented what's called a honeypot, which is a decoy server for the hackers to latch onto. And what does it say about Gideon that for not one second did I actually think that was going to be successful? You know, like it was just a question of how was that going to be used by the writers to subvert what he wants to to do well especially when Gideon said I'm keeping an eye on it myself you're what yeah exactly uh, at no point in season one do we have anything any evidence that would want to make us trust Gideon yeah and the moment that his suspicions were raised again by Elliot any real tech company would have shown Elliot the door immediately or called the FBI. Yeah. Um, although these days it does seem to be more common where we let people proceed sometimes for years committing crimes to try to cast the net as wide as possible. True, true. Have you ever worked somewhere where the FBI has come and seized property and arrested someone? I, I have not worked at a crack house to my knowledge. One of the first startups I worked at, we worked with this genius web developer guide. It was in the early days of the web where you could view source. We created some dynamically driven websites. Now the technology would be basic like send form, nothing radical, I'm sure. Apparently his former employer felt like it, it was a little too close to home for what they worked on. And the FBI, I missed it, I wasn't there when it happened, came on site, confiscated all of his computers, whether they were the company's or his personal laptop, and arrested him on the spot. It's something that's happening more and more where law enforcement has to intersect with technology 
and they're asked to play a role in resolving disputes among participants in technology. And sometimes it gets pretty ridiculous or leads to pretty ridiculous outcomes. I think so too, because you know none of what this kid did was really stealing anything at all. It's just, as you're saying, tech companies, especially in those days, were very protective, and they still are, right, of, of their inventions, whether they're perceived inventions or not. Once you sign an NDA or you sign your life away, sometimes you really don't have a ground to stand on if you look at some of the fine print. It's pretty scary. I think it's one of the things that the show explores is how easily small things can have large impacts or large effects and the disconnect between what we do physically, like wiggling our fingers on some plastic buttons to the impact that it has on the world. I think it's pretty interesting to think about. Little tell in terms of showing Gideon is kind of a loser is He's devastated by this hack, as well he should be. But Elliot has perspective, and he knows, you know, this hack is far from devastating. And that's where Elliot figures out it's meant to get my attention. He, he unravels things pretty quickly in some senses, but as we see in the episode, pretty slow on the uptake about some other things. He realizes that the hack is meant to be a distraction, he has some very uncomfortable interactions with Angela where he realizes that there's this gap between them because according to him, I'm a hacker. There are pieces of me that she'll never know that we protect her from. And in some ways pointing him directly to Darlene because the things that he says is, is, are lacking with his relationship with Angela are the things that Darlene provides. Inside of the Faraday cage, which is a great introduction to the public if they haven't seen or heard of what a Faraday cage is. It's a place where basically all signals are cut off. We should all live in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. We, we should all have personal Faraday cages that when we walk around in public, we're just covered in our own. It's not an actual cage. It blocks surveillance. <laughs> you, you know, the, the same way that a generation ago, we they would have laughed at the ozone purifiers and the things that we run in our houses. I wonder if in the future, that will be kind of a common thing for people to run. I wouldn't be surprised. It also makes me think of that film, A Scanner Darkly, where people were able to walk around and scramble their images. And I think eventually we'll, we will have that. I, th I think with all this talk about VR, one of the things that's implicit in that is AR. That's something that would definitely be interesting from an AR perspective is to be able to scramble people's ability to view your image or to augment your image with something. But this is where we get to finally meet the most paranoid hacker of them all, at least according to Elliot. This is White Rose. And I thought there were some very interesting things about her and how she was quote unquote trolling Elliot. It's some ways timely for us to talk about this with like the shooting in Orlando and the recent focus on the rights of the LGBT community. Here we have someone who is not only a wanted hacker, but also transgender. The thing I find really compelling about her too, in addition to that timeliness, is her incredible fixation on time and units of time and breaking down units of time into ever 
different, ever-differing chunks. She has that same world weariness towards others in a certain way that Elliot does and Tyrell does. By knowing secrets, it seems, right? It seems like there's a strong correlation between knowing the secrets of people or things and being but world weary. I think it's interesting that White Rose will not say why they're even talking or even thinking of working with F Society again. Yeah, I I'm suspicious. I think it's going to be revealed more in future episodes because I have a hard time believing that White Rose is doing it just out of the goodness of her heart. Yes, and there was that line that White Rose has infected us with time paranoia. I mm -hmm. thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I think the writing just keeps getting better and better as season one progresses. Yes, and the whole freak out that Elliot has after encountering White Rose where he realizes he only has 50 hours and... 23 minutes to accomplish all this stuff and they have these slow moving frames and then things kind of get really choppy and the next thing you know he's back at all safe in the process of trying to drain Gideon's phone and take command of the system. So what do you think happens in that period where things get kind of choppy? Do you think either it's supposed to symbolize or represent something else? Yeah, I thought it was when I know that there have been times when I'm under extreme stress where I'm about to miss an airplane and I'm really cutting it close or something really intense is happening and time does seem to move differently for me. Mm. Do you think it could also be in some ways him being someone else or someone else being him. Like, you know, this idea that he, he might be a re imaginary construct or we might be an imaginary construct that we're somehow floating in and out of reality. Well, I didn't think it then, but I can see why you say that. But I did start to think it when I saw Terrell and Mr. Robot hanging out together. Yeah, I, th I for me, it was totally perceived differently the first time around versus watching season one again. What do you interpret it as those different scenes with Elliot kind of moving in different time frames? Did you see it as him shifting personas? I think so. Like that's that's kind of what it felt like to me was that he was kind of floating in and out of being Elliot, you know, in this case being Mr. Robot, where the first time I viewed the scene with Mr. Robot and Terrell, Terrell trying to say to Elliot, hey, I know your secret about that server and what you did to Colby. And Elliot's saying, so what? Like, doesn't matter. How about Terrell? He, he really is starting to break under the pressure. I mean, he played it cool when the cops showed up and he was like, make an appointment. I mean, I'm above it all. He has these different interactions, you know, with Mr. Robot and he says to Mr. Robot, I'm going to let everyone know your dirty little secret. That was so weird to see them interact, and it was surreal. Yeah, and the way that I perceived Terrell definitely evolved as season one progressed, because I saw him first as a much more powerful character. When I saw him beating up the homeless person, I thought, well, this is someone who gets her kicks this way, but, you know, I, I, th I thought he have more inner resilience. Whereas actually as season one goes on, it seems that he's a bit brittle and that under pressure he's cracking. Yeah, and he goes home, he's in the process of basically falling apart in front of Joanna. And at this point she doesn't know about what happened to Sharon Knowles. But once the cops arrive and she figures out what's going on, 
I mean, she makes a really extreme move to protect Tyrell. I want to know what's driving this woman because it can't just be about the job, could it? Yeah, or is she even real? Is she his daemon? Oh, that'd be interesting. That would put the the S&M scenes in a completely different light. Yeah, she's his Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, bada bing, bada boom. I know, I have to stop saying that. <laughs> stop? That implies that you've been saying that more than once. Delete, <laughs> delete, delete. <laughs> I said it last week when we did the Damon episode, the Matt Damon Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I love the fact that the one cop asked for herbal tea. I was like... Make yourself right at home, officers. Like, uh, take them up on their offer. I can see where you would get to that point as a police officer. When someone just says something, be like, actually, I would like this, you know? <laughs> I'd like a double mocha venti with a <laughs> shot of vodka and... That'd be, that'd be pretty funny, right? Like, that would be a car- like a comedy scene. Like, some cop goes into some you know, a house in the inner city and the, the person's trying to be polite and says, well, would you like something? Can I get you something to drink, officers? And he's like, yes, actually, I'd like a double mocha venti with soy mocha. You can tell we never order this stuff because we're, we, we try to We don't there. know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, 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 run, I run out of adjectives. Like, I, I know that there's ways that I could be describing this in more detail, but, you know, I'll just paint with a big brush. And then there was that unbelievable heartbreaking scene where Darlene and Elliot are interacting. Darlene has a moment where she just expresses to Elliot how much she really cares about him and how much she loves him. And Elliot misreads that or is just taken by the moment and he moves into kiss her and he and then Darlene's horrified. And, and so Elliot is all about being able to perceive reality, quote, as it really is, right? Like, he knows people's secrets. He's able to strip away the facade of reality, uh, of what people perceive as reality, and really get at the core of what's really going on to manipulate and make himself powerful. Yet in this moment, he completely misreads what's going on and makes a pretty embarrassing and essentially emotionally traumatic error. The complete bereftness that Darlene had when that happened and her complete sadness and also a little bit of disgust, it was so palpable. I think the actress did a great job of playing it. And then, of course, we find out why she's so grossed out by Elliot's attempts to kiss her. Yeah, I, I thought you are right. Like, the acting in that scene on both sides by her and Rami Malek was just fantastic as he kind of awkwardly goes in for the, the move and we with her kind of, we would actually with Elliot react to her recoil to kind of figure out what's going on and then it gets revealed to us and she says did you forget again which implies that this happened before yeah it sure did and then of course elliot being the self-flagellating kind and also probably now in full freak out mode as if it wasn't bad enough before after he left seeing the white rose he goes back to his apartment calls himself a million names i'm crazy i should have never created you i avoid myself and he breaks that mirror and it's all fragmented and it really seems like elliot is having a breakdown that he's undergoing some sort of psychotic or schizophrenic episode where 
reality is just kind of melting around him. Yes. Did I re erase myself? Am I a ghost? I'm nothing. And then he finds the, in among all of the Led Zeppelin CDs and the Pink Floyd and Blur <laughs> and The Cure, there's one blank CD and he instinctively takes that. And there he discovers not only is Darlene his sister, but Mr. Robot, there's something going on there might have to call him daddy man and then of course as if by magical timing mr robot appears at the door to help elliot process it's a pretty interesting episode i was i i was definitely caught up in the reveal at the end me too and i was caught up in also the whole competing hacker factions again we, we got to see a really awesome f society new f society commercial that it seems like elliot planted or somebody planted to distract all safe although did you notice that f society ad or i don't know if it's an ad the, the spot that showed in the all safe office it seemed different than the other ones it seemed fake well maybe he was on the move like remember that the period where he was kind of floating in and out of reality and things were cutting, maybe that's the period of his life where he was actually cutting and making the video. I don't think that's a bad idea at all because it did seem very different from the others and it was so targeting all safe. And I love how it was totally ragging on Gideon too. It was sort of awesome. <laughs> and, and again, like if you strip away the, the scary voice, it's really childish or childlike, right? The kind of way in which Elliot goes after Gideon through the, the mouthpiece of F society. Yeah. And what a, what a great episode. And I, you know, I know we're going to finish out season one and talk about the rest of what happens. And as we prepare for season two, I'm so excited to see how characters develop, especially Angela. I'm going to be interested to see what, what she does and how much more radical she becomes. Do you know how I know that it's getting close to season launch or launch of season two is Comcast starts removing the early episodes from on demand <laughs> and it starts shifting over to paid rentals and paid downloads. So the window is closing on catching up on Mr. Robot. So start now. Hello, evil Comcast. Hello, evil cast. <laughs> Hello, evil cast. All hail our dark overlords. How long may they overcharge? <laughs> well, Henry, thank you so much for talking about fragrant white rose, thorns and all. I really look forward to chatting with you next week. And Henry composed the amazing theme song music for the Hello Friend podcast. If anybody wants to send any computer sounds or wants us to add sounds from their favorite video game maybe or from the world of weird tech definitely feel free to get in touch with us on our facebook page at the hello friend podcast henry i'm looking forward to continuing this conversation yeah looking forward to it as we get close to the end of season one it's going to be interesting to start guessing and theorizing about what's going to happen in the upcoming season two i think i'm going to have some raspberry pie mm -mm -mm. bada bing bada boom <laughs> <laughs> all right henry i'll talk to you later all right bye margaret bye <laughs> and the file shows because client data is inaccessible to back online jumping on that now check the logs on the asa firewall i want a full report Ollie. sales 
All appointments at All Safe are canceled until further notice. Word of this cannot get out. All right, let's get to it. This hack is far from devastating. They're already on us. They're not going after anything valuable. This is more of a distraction. But what are they trying to distract us from? Brought to you by our sponsors at Xfinity. Shitty home internet that you can't rely on. People say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load the 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal. And the straw boss said, well, bless my soul, you load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain. Fighting and trouble are my middle name. I was raised in the cane break by an old mama lion. Can't no high-toned woman make me walk the line. You load the 16 tons. What a gift. Another day older and deeper than death. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. See me coming better, step aside. A lot of men didn't, a lot of men died. One fist of iron, the other of steel. If the right one don't get you, then the left one will. You load the 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. company store.